Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. I'm Gabriel McDotty with a football podcast on The Times where Premier League fans can get every goal, every game, everywhere. Now, before we start, a reminder that we're going on the road. At least Rory and I are initially, and we'll be joined by Dion Dublin in Birmingham a week from Thursday. But we'll also be heading to uh, George Calkins' uh, gaff up in Newcastle and also in lovely Manchester, which I believe is close to where Ollie Kay lives, and I hope he, he'll pay us a visit. Now, tickets cost £5 for Times Plus members, £7.50 for non-members. To book, you can visit www 2 .ctickets.com slash the times or better yet call 0871-620-4025 and speak to a real live human being. Uh, expect some great guests, myself, and of course, not just that, but Rory Smith as well. Uh, hopefully as often as possible. Back to this week and a welcome to my guest, Tony Cascarino, Ollie Kay, speaking to us from his uh, conservatory in Ripon and Rory K. Smith. Let's kick off with England. So it's, it's now Monday, and on Friday, uh, England beat Montenegro 4-1, putting them in a very favorable position to actually qualify without having to go through the playoffs and prolonging the agony. Um, that was a very understrength Montenegro side, but it was still, par for the course, a convincing England victory. Rory, let's start with you, since you're such an England fan. Yeah, they were kind of okay, weren't they? And they, they did what they had to. I think Mont- what was strange for me was that Montenegro looked much more comfortable on the ball on the occasions when they had the ball than England, although England had much more of the ball, which I think is quite worrying. But no, England kind of did what they had to do. I, it, it's there, there seems to be two gears with England, and that's either total kind of resigned depression or complete triumphalism, we're going to win the World Cup nonsense. Neither neither really applies. They, I think they will qualify. They haven't qualified particularly well, even if they beat Poland convincingly, they haven't qualified particularly well. Um, they're not going to win it. They're not going to do anything particularly special in Brazil, barring some sort of huge turnaround. What are you, Nostradamus? I mean, what, what? No, but you just, you, there's, not, there's nothing, even with Townsend, I mean, Townsend kind of Exemplifies it. He's 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 decent, but he's not. No, we'll we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get to Townsend. We'll get to Townsend in a minute. 
Um, Ollie, uh, I looked at the England lineup and I thought, I, I wasn't expecting it, but then again, I don't live with the England team the way you do. Um, but I thought, this is a very attacking lineup, rather unroy-like. And I looked at this and part of me wanted to praise him. And of course, he needed to win and, and, and gamble a little bit. By the same token, kind of also, part of me also said, well, you've been in charge for 18 months. You should have a team and an identity that's kind of for all seasons and that, you know, could could go out and beat Montenegro. But maybe that's not the case. Well, it was obviously vindicated by that attacking lineup, right? Well, yeah, I, I think Cass made a, a very um, interesting and, and perceptive point the other on a Saturday morning in, in the paper where he, where he pointed out that you don't know what kind of England you're going to get from one game to the next, not just in terms of quality of performance, but in terms of the approach. I mean, they were very, they were turgid, turgid and direct um, in uh, in Ukraine, and they were sort of more uh, incisive and short passing and and attacking um, on the front foot against Montenegro on Friday. And you know, w- w- we all encourage tactical flexibility, but to me, those you know, it, it's it's been a fairly big lurch from one type of performance. Um, to another in this qualifying campaign, and I mean, I, I thought they did. I thought they did well on uh, on Friday. I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go crazy. I wouldn't go overboard, and I, I certainly wouldn't um, suggest that they're going to win the World Cup or or even reach the last eight. But it was a um, it was a performance that made you think that you know, should they, uh, you know, all things being equal on Tuesday, they shouldn't screw it up, and they should be at, at the World Cup without need for the playoffs. Cass, does it matter that? Montenegro were, I mean, you can only be what's in front of you, right? It doesn't matter yeah. Montenegro were missing basically half their starting lineup, and especially in the case of Montenegro, given the size of the nation, and you'll know this having played for the Republic, when you're that size, if you have, you know, if, if you lose some starters, you may have a decent starting 11, but if you lose some starters, the guys replacing them might be people who play in, in you know, in, in the third flight, yeah. um, or in the case of Montenegro, uh, you know, a goalkeeper who started one game in the last three years, um, two guys without uh, who are currently unattached because nobody can't get contracts. That's the reality, right? Yeah, it is a reality. But you also have to deal with guys that see the golden goose in England and the league and maybe if they put on a performance that can shine that they can find themselves playing in the Premier League they one all day. want to go to the Premier League. Well, no, but it's a major league. Not all want to go over the Premier It's a major league. It's like watching Sky. No. Uh, well, Listening to you. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> but that, that's, that's what you're dealing with. Right. I mean, I, I thought they, like what the boys said, you know, technically, is, you know, they, were, they were not bad. And, but do you expect that? They, they, they always, I always felt Eastern Bloc countries, they never shone away from wanting the ball. Um, I found it difficult to watch because I actually, because I'm such a saddo, I put the Ukraine game and I put the Montenegro game on the same time and watched them. You own more than one television. Yeah. And... Um, and I found the contrast in styles amazing of, of England, w- the way they played and the, the way they tried to make an impact on the game. And I just felt, I, when Ollie said about, you know, what sort of England are going to uh, play and their style, I don't think they've identified a style. I thought it was, look, these are weaker. They've got players out. We're going to be very adventurous. It was a totally unroy-like team. I've never seen him. And you touched on being bold. I I was amazed that he selected the side he did because I did, didn't see that coming. Would they do that against a far better team with a more complete side? I doubt it very much because uh, I still think that Roy will always opt for caution against certain opposition of a higher calibre. Andros Townsend was a guy who came in, and it was interesting because some members of the media, and I have to say, Ollie, forgive me, I did not read your copy on Friday, but some people yeah. commented that... Oh, that's um, appalling. That... Uh, 
Townsend would be coming in. And uh, and then I read that on, on a football website, on Football 365, there's absolute, like, sort of destruction of Townsend. And, and I thought they made a good point. Here's a guy who is 22 years old. He's played 18 top-flight games. He has three starts at under-21 level. I know he's been loaned out to, like, 10 different teams. He's taken more shots on goal than anybody else in the Premier League, and he's not a center forward and hasn't scored yet. What does it say when somebody like that gets – and it obviously worked out, so obviously Roy's vindicated. Mm-hmm. But at this stage of qualification, you have to chuck somebody like that in there. Is it is it a hit-and-hope type thing, Ollie? Well, it, is, and it also shows that the, the cupboard is, is fairly bare, I mean, in terms of in terms of talent, which is something that has, um, has been said many times. I mean um, – it's not exactly a huge injury crisis or a huge personnel crisis that that, that has um, taken Townsend to to the front of the queue. It's, it's Walcott's out and um, Oxley Chamberlain's out, and you could you know you could previously cite Oxley Chamberlain as somebody who hasn't exactly set the Premier League alight yet is in the England squad. Um, you could you, know, you could easily say of Walcott. In fact, I mean it, the the bar is not exactly set very high for young Premier League players, particularly at top clubs, wanted to break into the England squad and indeed team. And, and Townsend is, is just the latest to find that all it probably takes is, is a few good weeks at a top club and you're and, and you're in the England squad and, and, and you've got a chance of starting a big game like this. And I thought Townsend did extremely well, but there would have been a time not so long ago where um, you would need to, to play like, at that level for an awfully long time before you were starting. Um, well, if you, if you look at the, the contrast with Spain, where Michu's had to play in the Premier League, so two years in the Premier League, or a year a year in the Premier League, and then another three months as the you know one of the best strikers in one of the strongest leagues in the world, preceded by a season in which he was the leading scorer outside of Barcelona and Madrid for a team who you know should have been hopeless, and then after all that, he gets in the Spanish squad. Andros Townsend yeah. plays four yeah. times for Spurs and gets in the England team. That's instructive. And Miju is still only sixth choice. Yeah, exactly. For, yeah, for Spain. But uh, Roy, um, I know you spoke to uh, to Gary Southgate. There's a good piece in the, in the paper with him. But I, I'm, I'm interested in this fact that Andros Townsend has three under 21 caps. Because our, is that an indictment of England at youth level? Yes. Because remember when James Milner had like 100 40, under 21 caps? 47 he got Milner, I think. What, was Townsend not on anybody's radar? I know he's had some issues, but like, well, it's kind of weird when you, you know. I mean, I think I think Tom Ince has, and, you know, he, obviously Stuart Pearce made different decisions, but should should England as an FA have noticed? Hey, look, this guy can play a little bit. Maybe get him on the pitch sometimes. Well, he's a funny one, Townsend, because you look at the. I think the fact that he's been loaned out, it shouldn't certainly shouldn't be held against him, and in many ways is a good thing, as it's kind of it's given him chance to play, and I think it's much better that a player like that is out in the championship playing for Yeovil or whoever rather than sort of sitting in Spurs' under-21 squad doing nothing. That's a good thing. But by the same token, the amount of times he's been loaned out makes you wonder whether Spurs actually ever thought he was going to make it particularly. That's not the path that most kind of top young prospects take. Maybe one loan, maybe two, not seven or eight. That's quite rare. I think he also had some pretty high-profile fallings out with uh, Roy Keane and Neil Warnock. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, those are one was well, maybe maybe my favorite footballer ever from the British Isles. Um, the other one is apparently highly respected, Neil Warnock. Do you think Stuart Pearce of the FA said, looked and it said like, well, if Kino and Neil don't rate him, 
then there's no place for him in the under 21s. I, I and should they if, no, if that's what if, that, if that's their logic? It's, well, I think we're being really harsh on the lad. I mean, look, I think he was a guy that's obviously I'm not being had harsh on the lad. I mean, harsh on the system. Well, I mean, the, I sy- that's the system, the system we're doing. Like, but, the, the guy can obviously play a little bit, right? Yes. So. It, no and, 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 he, and he showed it with, and, and, and he rewarded Hodgson's faith in him uh, on Friday night. Whether he'll do it again, I don't know. But it's obvious that Roy's talking about a dearth of talent and, mm. and, and so on and lack of depth is part of the reason why this guy gets a 22 and he hasn't played much international well, football. I, he hasn't been part of England squads. He probably hasn't felt. There is a problem with England ignoring the not just the 21s but all of the age group teams because we don't really sort of seem to think that youth football is particularly important at international level whereas other countries bring generations through and they, they it means when they get to the top to the senior side that they know how to play together but I don't think Townsend's a particularly good example of that He's problem. He's an outlier. No, I, yeah. I, I think what one of the major problems is Gab is that because people speak like they do in all industries and I think a lot's been said about Townsend and a lot of it underground because these people have looked at him and said ah, pain in the backside problem probably Neil not the Warnock. best judgment given uh, yeah. also that he got a he got he was he was suspended for um for, for, for yeah. betting on, uh, on of course so he's done he's done things that you know have, have caused him problems neil warner openly said that you know he left leeds without even saying goodbye he was on loan there and just packed up his bag and went back to london you know them things don't go down well and people will then start looking saying what sort of attitudes the kid got does he really deserve to be part of the england I, group I do is wonder, he a problem you i do wonder a little bit because though because daniel sturridge who everybody loves now also had a definitely had a reputation like that when he was younger. I know, I'm just throwing it out there. When yeah. you have talent, should they maybe be nurtured a little bit differently to make sure that yeah, these you, people do emerge? But you, well, you, you do have to question whether any 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 man can be a normal human being if he if he'd lead, leave Leeds at all. Once you're there, you stay. Well, let, let's get Thank it right. Let, let's look at uh, how it's all come about. Harry Redknapp took him at QPR, believed in his talent, gave him the platform. He then shone at QPR because he did play well. And you yeah, we can't excellent. deny that. He was excellent for QPR and played a big part in their season, even though they got relegated. Yeah. He played a big part in changing. And Harry saw something that he really believed was a top player. He's gone back to Tottenham. Now, Gareth Bell left the football club. And I think that probably it's a wake-up call for Townsend where he's probably got, do you know what? I've got a fantastic opportunity. I need to grow up now. And he had done some daft stuff. Now, I, I think he's been given an opportunity, which he's jumped yeah. at. But there were certain issues that a lot of people are afraid of what he would do. You know, how can you take along a player who's suddenly going to give you problems in the England under-21s? Ollie, I, I want to throw it forward to, to something else. Dejan Savicevic, um, one of the most, I think, one of the most naturally gifted players, certainly of my lifetime, uh, he came out with his typical sort of, I want to be fair to the guy, but it is typical sort of chest-beating small nation saying that, you know, the Montenegrins are all proud to play for Montenegro. It's the most important thing for them. And the English guys, they don't care about the shirt so much. I, you could disagree, you can agree. But I was struck by the fact that Roy got so wound up over this does this say any, tell us anything about his mindset? Uh, is there anything to, 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 to read into this? Should he, did he waste a good opportunity to keep his mouth shut? Well, I, I think um, Roy gets upset by what he considers cheap shots at, um, at his team and, and his management, etc. I mean, I think there are, are various things that he and the team are accused of. And personally, I, I would agree with Hodgson that um, a lack of dedication or a lack of commitment 
shouldn't be one of them. I think it's one of those extremely lazy things that people say after, you know, when they see the England teams playing poorly, that, you know, they don't care, they don't, um, they're not bothered, where's the passion, where's the belief? Sometimes I think that the passion is about all they've got. You know, you go back to the 2010 World Cup, I don't think they, um, I don't think they struggled there because of a lack of passion, commitment, dedication, whatever. So, although there is a, a very sort of serious and deep conversation to be had about, about what the England team means to um, in, in English football and, and, and whether it is the players' priority. I don't think there's ever really a lack of commitment to the cause when they're in that squad. Um, so, so, so Roy I, was right I, I to respond? A, well, I don't know whether he was right to respond. Well, that's what I, I'm asking you. Because, to be honest, I, I, I don't even re- particularly remember the original... Um, the original Bob from Savicevic. So uh, well, Rory and I uh, sat there reading all the Montenegro papers as we do. Did, we normally well, do prepare exactly. for this game. I guess, I guess you missed out um, on that part. Um, I, I did. <laughs> I want to throw it forward to the uh, uh, to the polling game because and you can tell that. I don't want to sound like our boss Tony Evans and say there's no football going on, but you can tell the cupboard is pretty bare right now, and so it's it's a huge issue now that from what I saw on television this morning, uh, eighteen thousand. Uh, seats, which based on the attendance could be anywhere between a third to a fourth of Wembley, are going to go to fans of Poland. And part of the reason is that some of it is Poland's away allocation. Some of it is the fact that uh, if, like me, you once bought a ticket to Wembley, um, you end up on this sort of uh, mailing list from hell where they email you every few minutes and say like, look, you can still buy tickets, you can still buy tickets, you can still buy tickets. And a bunch of Polish people living here, obviously there's a large Polish immigrant population um, in, who've settled here, they've bought tickets. And what the FA has done, I think quite intelligently, is rather than treating them like normal fans, they've said, well, if all these guys are Polish, maybe they should all kind of sit together, which kind of makes sense if they'll be presumably supporting Poland. Is this even a story? Is this even an issue? There isn't a story in the sense that there'll be 18,000 Poles in there, although the way it's been built up is that it'll be to blame if England don't win. It'll be because they've the FA's incompetence or whatever, that's an inverted commas, has given the Poles a better atmosphere. It's less of a home game, blah, blah, blah. What is what is interesting is the fact that, and I guarantee this, although I'm not Nostradamus, the, the 20,000 Poles in Wembley will make an awful lot more noise than the 70,000 English people in Wembley. And that, like every Champions League home game, is a damning indictment of how silent in football fans are finished. Uh, thank you, Mr. Um, I, I was going to say, I mean, I, I wrote about it in this morning's paper. I, I think it is an issue. I think it is, um, you know, it, it won't be the factor that stops England qualifying if England don't qualify. I mean, it, exactly. But when I've seen this happen before, when I've seen um, Ireland and Scotland and Ghana come to Wembley um, and be given vast allocations because England couldn't sell out and because the demand from the away fans was so huge, I've seen extremely um, motivated, galvanised away teams, and that's for friendly matches. I think it is slightly bizarre that the FA have gone in this direction. Well, sorry, I know there's a security... The what, 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 what could the FA well, have done? I mean, if, if this had been England playing Scotland or the Republic of Ireland, presumably there would have been a whole bunch of people there supporting, because there's a lot of people who support Ireland and Scotland who live in, who live in, 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 in England, right? Well, what, what, they, what they said they were doing was, was selling only initially to, um, to fans with, um, with previous previous history not experience previous history of, of buying um, of buying England tickets because that way they they knew that they were going into the right hands etc um, so eventually they end up with this situation where um, the polls have bought their 8,000 tickets already and there's a huge demand for more and they and they decide well rather than 
risk ending up with um, poles all over the stadium. We'll, we'll, we'll end up with. Um, We'll give them an extra 10,000 ticket, give them an 18,000 allocation. So it'll be, be a huge area of poles within the ground. Now, personally, I, you know, I, I, Tony Barrett tweeted this morning that it says a lot about what we're used to with, with away ticket allocations, that this, that this is even being talked about. But I do find it slightly sort of damning of, 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 of the FA who only give sort of 25,000 tickets per team for an FA Cup final. Um, and yet they've got 18,000 plus away fans yeah. from, you know, from Poland for this must-win you say uh, from World Poland, Cup qualifier at home. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm under the impression that these aren't 18,000 fans from Poland, that mm. these 10,000... No, you know what I mean. Well, no, but the, 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 yeah. the, 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 these, are, these are people who reside in the UK, right? Yes, well, I mean, that, that, the, the, the 10,000 were sold um, locally, I believe, to Poles, or, or were sold to... Um, to, to satisfy a uh, a demand from UK-based polls, which uh, you know, obviously there's, um, I think it's in excess of half a million polls in in the UK, and and that's um, so that's under, understandable that there would be that enormous demand. But I, I mean, you would not expect if it was a um, if it was, for example, uh, let's say a, a Champions League final group game or something like that. If it was Manchester United versus Legia Warsaw. You wouldn't expect them to give um, to give a quarter of the. Um, they don't. They don't give them the, the tickets. They to, put them to, for, to for general away sale. fans. Would you? I, I'm, I'm sorry, Ollie, but um, I, I know this has happened with uh, with Chelsea. Certainly, it might have happened with Manchester United as well, right? In Champions League games, when if they don't sell out, and and you get the you get the season ticket holders and and the club members and so on. At some point, these tickets go on general sale, right? Isn't that yeah. isn't all that's happened here? These tickets have gone on general sale rather than having empty seats. They said, "Let's put them on general sale." No, 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 no. It, it wasn't that. It was. It was th- those extra ten thousand Polish tickets were released before they went on general sale in England. Um, and it, it's in fact, it's only in the in the in the, fi- in, in the final few days in the in the build up to the game that that the entire game has been sold out from a, from an England fan's point of view. Um, so, I mean. No doubt, if they'd really wanted to, if they'd really wanted to get a full house mm. at the expense of everything else, they they could probably have just said, "Oh yeah, g- well, general sale." Pretty amazing. Po- polls have all the tickets you like, but I, but personally, I I think it's a, um, I think it's uh, it, it seems like a decision where sort of finance and security have absolutely um, overweighed or outweighed normal football considerations because you would not norm you wouldn't normally expect. Um, a big nation to, um, if we can call ourselves that, a big nation to to hand over eighteen thousand tickets to to away fans for, for a, a crucial must-win World Cup qualifier. It, it, I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's a massive deal, but I, I think the story has merit, and I, I think it, I think it might, in some small way, um, backfire on on the FA in England if if Poland produce the kind of performance that looks like they've been energised by a huge away following. Now, in our debate uh, this week, we're going to look at Cardiff because obviously there's uh, there's plenty of speculation going on um, for those unfamiliar with Cardiff because they've only been a Premier League side for a few months. Uh, this uh, Cardiff is a team in uh, from the city of Cardiff, in uh, the eponymous city of Cardiff in uh, Wales. Uh, they were bought by a very wealthy man named Vincent Tan 
who uh, decided to uh, change the club colors from uh, blue, which, as everybody know, brings bad luck, as evidenced by the fact that only Brazil have won more World Cups than uh, than Italy and very few countries wearing red have ever won World Cups. In fact, I believe it's only happened twice. But anyway, I digress here, just to remind everybody we are in a World Cup year. Um, and uh, he decided to uh, put a lot of money in the club. They were promoted last year uh, with their manager, Malky Mackay. As you probably know, this season they've had some very good games, including beating Manchester City. Uh, now, here's the rub. Malky Mackay has a friend named Ian Moody, who is the club's head of recruitment. Um, Cardiff spent a lot of money in the summer. Vincent Tan decided to um, dismiss uh, Mr. Moody and uh, replace him with a man named uh, Alisher uh, Absalyamov, who uh, Rory and I have known for years. Since Absolutely. We've known him for the last 15 years since he was eight years old. No, that's a joke because Absalyamov is only 23 years old. He's the acting head of recruitment. Uh, Ali, I want to throw this to you first because you wrote about it very eloquently on, on Saturday. Viewed from the outside, this story writes itself. Mad, wealthy foreign owner, doesn't know much about football, puts a lot of money in the team. Then- Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com decides he wants to get involved and so puts his son's mate in charge of player recruitment. Is it as simple as that? I think that's a a neat summary. You could say it's as simple as that. I mean, there are always um, more complicating factors. There's the fact that, 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 um, as you say, um, Tan has put in a lot of money. He's he's stabilised the club from a financial point of view, but as so often, stability from a uh, a, a financial point of view is is undermined by complete instability and interference from a um, from a football point of view, where an owner gets involved with something he doesn't know about and then you know, starts to think that he knows best or surrounds him, himself with people who he feels know better than the manager. And um, you know, you could say it's um, Roman Abramovich on a small scale, but I, I hope that in this instance we're not going to get a. Um, an Abramovich-style outcome because I think Malky Mackay is um, probably the best thing about Cardiff City. 
Everybody, you know, I, I've heard and reading in all the papers, you know, Ian Moody is described as the much respected Ian Moody. Now, I don't know Ian Moody from Adam. I can judge the players he bought this summer. Uh, Gary Medell is one of my favorite players in the world. I think they spent way too much money for him. In fact, I know for a fact that he was offered to other clubs for 8 million euros, um, and they spent considerably more than that on him. Um, they bought Cornelius, where the judgment's out on him, although we've seen too much of him yet. But can you tell us a little bit about about Ian Moody? Um, because ultimately, this seems to be the, the, the sort of the crux of the matter. He, you know, it's not like as if he's let Malky Mackay go. He's let their de facto, I think, director of football go. You often hear in these situations about um, about someone being a football man or, or you know a, um, a classic football background and years of experience. I mean, Ian Moody is somebody who is perhaps the opposite of that. He's come up through a very unorthodox route in football. He, he um, went to university, he worked for a Atoll Stills agency um, in London. Um, he worked, he, he then... Atoll Still, he, for he those who don't know. Mentioned you mentioned Atoll Still there, but I think it's interesting that Atoll Still used to be, uh, the, um, he was a man who represented Sven Joran Eriksson. He's a former opera singer and represents a whole bunch of opera singers. Uh, and he brought, produced the, the, the CD for a group called Il Diva, which is for blokes singing opera, which I know Cass and I really enjoy. So I proceed. Right, okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> interestingly, in 1999, took up a position as staff writer with the website football365.com. So, you know, we're coming full circle with this, um, with this podcast. But um, it, he, also, uh, he also was a press officer at Watford, but then... This is the significant bit. He became football operations manager. So although he's come through quite an unorthodox non-football route, he has been working in the football um, industry and, and sort of on the football operations side for several years now and is indeed well respected, uh, not least by Malky Mackay, which probably matters more. It's an interesting one because, Roy, you and I being sort of um, pretentious, uh, sort of um, foreign-loving types, we talk about directors of football and we talk about how great they are. We talk about, you know, not putting everything into the hands of ex-players, many, who many times aren't very well educated or some of them aren't very clever, some of them are. Um, and uh, this, so, so this guy does seem to, based on all his description of him, does seem to, to fit the bill. Do you, do you suspect it's a case of Tan taking advice from other people or looking at the amount of money spent or looking at... Why did we sign Cornelius if he's not playing? Possibly. I mean, the, the way it's been presented is that, that they've that Tan's looked at it and and said we spent all this money and yet you know it's not like we're going to win the, the Premier League. We're not in the top four. He he seems to, there seems to be an issue around Vincent Tan's uh, patience for how to grow a club in the Premier League. That does seem to be a problem. Um, so you really believe that? I mean, I don't know Vincent no. Tan personally. I'm assuming he's not a freaking moron. No. I'm assuming he didn't think that he'd be going up and competing for, for the Premier League straight away. Well, you would assume that. And, I, and, and as you say, we, we have to look at all, all owners, foreign or not, in the Premier League and assume that because they're quite rich, they're not stupid because it's very hard to become rich if you are stupid. Unless, you inherit, unless you inherit the money. Unless you inherit the money and also or get lucky. You look at the, the, the fellow who won the lottery. Anyway, let's assume that Vincent Tan's not stupid. The issue, probably more broadly, is that there have been examples of of owners who've come up and don't understand why that success that they've had in the championship does not continue flawlessly, seamlessly in the Premier League. 
the the issue with Moody, I don't think is that he's well respected or not not well respected or whatever. I think, that, and I don't have a problem particularly with if Cardiff have seen this Chazak fellow and thought, you know, what, he's quite good. He can spot a player. I don't think that's a bad thing either necessarily. We don't know if that's the case. Doesn't matter. It's irrelevant that he was a painter and decorator beforehand. It's a weird sort of snobbery about him. The problem is that Tan and Simon Lim, the chief executive, have done this, and it has destabilised Malty Mackay, who basically has done all that all that could be asked of him. He's taken Cardiff up. He's spent a lot of money. Do we know? Do we know that Malky Mackay is unhappy with it? Yes, I think we do, yes. Has Malky Mackay spoken or has he just delivered messages via his friends in the media? He he has to be unhappy about it, Cap. Come on. Why? Because he's... What if it was his idea to get rid of Moody? um, I think we would have found that out, don't you? I think if if it had been his idea to get rid of Moody, I don't think it would have been such an issue. No. And I just think that Malky Mackay will probably say, you know, if you, if you didn't believe Ian Moody's the right person for the job, why would you think then that Malky Mackay was the man for the job? Because you're two different people. Malky well, Mackay is a coach yeah, but, who, yeah, but who, who coaches a team and selects the players, right? Gab, you're probably chopping off his right arm. Because most clubs, most guys have people they trust, believe in, and it was part of the success. He would he would argue, if we had him now, I guarantee that Malky Mackay would be defending Ian Moody and saying, what a great relationship, what a great job he felt he did. You mentioned about transfers. He brought in Stephen Corker as well from Tottenham. You know, it was a big major coup for Cardiff. It was a lot of money too. Well, it was, well, Gab, it wasn't that much money considering, you know, it was an England... You know, under 21, highly thought of within the game, had established himself at Tottenham, gets himself to Cardiff. That was a, a pretty big, bold move that Cardiff did. So I, I find I find probably Malky's probably keeping quiet because, like most managers in, the, in this sort of position, they're under contract and good contracts for a period of time. And I think he, he probably, from the outside, is ver, uh, from, for us, I would believe in the inside, he'd be a very angry man. Ollie, I want to give you the uh, final word in your column. You describe Vincent Tan as an angel, an angel of death. An angel of death? Well, no, I mean, let, 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 let's, be, let's be fair about this. <laughs> I like getting good Cardiff, Cardiff were uh, in severe, severe financial danger when, when, um, when Tan and, and friends took over the club. So, the, you know, they have had some uh, kind of um, positive impact, certainly. I mean, they, they are now a, a financially stable Premier League club. I just don't think they are a stable club. Um, stable financially, yes, but but everything else about the club smacks of instability and and um, and dubious decisions and and a sort of um, excessive regard for for for, for what uh, Tan and his friends know and and what the rest of the world doesn't know. It's 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 this sort of culture of um, your name's on the door so you can do what you like. I mean, we haven't even mentioned the um, the uh, the change from. Um, Blue shirts to red shirts. Uh, that you know the rebranding of Cardiff City, which I know you know people can say, oh, it's only a shirt. It, it doesn't matter. I I think even if you if you com- are completely cold and unsentimental about that decision, there it, it, it is symptomatic of a culture of um, I know best. You know what what the fans think and and what football people think and and heritage and tradition and knowledge and expertise. That doesn't matter. We know best. And um, I think it's a um, I think it's just a difficult situation. I don't really like it. I, I can see that Cardiff have done well under his ownership, and um, I'm sure uh, a lot of the fans would would much rather they are in the Premier League under Tan's ownership, playing in red, than um, than mid-table in the Championship. But I think there are also fans who who would would have preferred it the old way. That they, they feel that the soul has been sold, and they probably look down the M4 um, to Swansea City and think, oh, you know. 
Of course, one nice stay red. The, the, <laughs> um, it would be nice to have the best of both worlds, like, like Swansea do. All right, time now for some quick hits. Now, we've had a suggestion from one of my many, 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 although not as many as Ollie K uh, followers on Twitter that we should rebrand uh, quick hits as one-on-one. So this week, and only this week, we're going to do a test market. We're going to, I'm going to call it one-on-one, and feel free to share your pod, your thoughts with us on this massive sea change. You can email gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. Will, will it be the same format, just with a different title? You'll just have to find like, out. Like Hull City Tinders. Um, you just have to find out. Time now for some one-on-one. Joey Barton told leaders in football last week that England values managers, not coaches, and then said that Sir Alex Ferguson couldn't put on a coaching session if his life depended on it. Now, I'm sure Joey was exaggerating a little bit. Um, Cass, like Joey, you've never been coached by Sir Alex. Uh, but uh, still, tell me, do we overemphasize manager types or do real men earn their bacon on the training pitch? Um, well, the game is changing and there are, I think that the, the new breed are a bit of both. They can manage and they can uh, coach and they can take t- training sessions. I've had many a manager who couldn't take training sessions, um, Big Jack notably, but he had an incredible knowledge of the game and how teams played. He used to go through every style of Scandinavian football, Eastern Bloc football, Brazilian, South American. And, and you know, he wasn't with you on the training pitch. What was it all in his head? I mean, what, I because he instilled a way of playing that he wanted us to stick by. Uh, it was very basic. But he didn't do it during training sessions? No. not but at he all, do, no. did it at the No, bar. he just told you. He would just say, don't do that. Don't do that type of pastor. And, and okay, it seemed very basic, um, but we all knew his ideas. Um, and there's also, I've been, on, I've been on coaching courses when I must say, and I don't want to name any names, I've had guys that we've ended up calling the Riddler because his coaching sessions were, you've got to go in there, come out there, go there, and everyone was like, what was, we got, can we hear that again? You know, and they were so incredibly detailed that you just could not take that information onto the football field. So finding the middle ground for me is the real answer. That's an insight into uh, into how Gillian will play under Tony Castorino. <laughs> Eleven to one. There you go. I, for my part, um, having spent a tiny bit about uh, time with Sir Alex, I think um, Joey Barton might have had a good point. I don't think Sir Alex Ferguson was a good example of this at all, um, based on what so many people have told me. Greg Dyke has put together a commission, which in the next six months will look at the English game. Gary Lineker, in one of his many tweets, called most of these folks pointless. Ollie, what would you call them? And are the Premier League unpatriotic and mean and horrible for not agreeing to be a part of Greg Dyke's commission? Well, I'm, I'm disappointed the Premier League aren't involved. Um, so they should. Be. I'm guessing that they will not. I, I'm guessing that they will comply and they will uh, have different people uh, answering to the commission and, and giving answers. But it, it means that they are already probably dis- dissociating and, and, and distancing themselves from the um, from the final findings, which um, you know it, it was meant to be this sort of whole game approach to. Uh, a shake-up of English football. So that's slightly disappointing, but but maybe they can have good feedback and, and, and good input in, in, in other ways. Um, as for the maker of the panel, well, I'm more interested to see the, the people that they speak to than the um, and take advice uh, from rather than the actual makeup of the panel. I think the makeup of the panel is slight, being slightly overstated. I don't think it's of huge importance whether they have... Um, a load of ex-players and coaches, or whether they have um, 
a few bureaucrats on there. Um, personally, I, I would like to see somebody like Gary Neville have a, a big voice in this process, but um, I think he can. I think he would probably be better at answering the questions rather than asking them. I think he should have had a panel of one, and it should have been Roger Burden. But um, Ollie, just a quick follow-up on this. I, it's really clear to me. I was told that the Premier League guy he wanted to have on there was was Anthony Fry. Is that right? Yeah. And I'm sure most people have no idea who on God's green earth Anthony Fry is. Can you tell us? Uh, he's a Premier League. He's a Premier League chairman. He's uh, he's, yeah. he's. What one did of he do before that? Of, uh, he invented the fries, peppermint cream, and and Turkish delight. Um, no, he he um, he is Barry Fry's brother as well. No, that's not true either. No. Um, board of directors, chairman right. types. Um, With no who, past who, in football, yeah. He, he's um, he's a big Manchester United fan. Like, okay. Um, See, the, 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 like, this Q, is what gets Q me. Outrage. No, no, but this is what gets me right about the, the Premier League. If this guy, I'm sure he's very clever, but he's a chairman, right? He's got nothing to do with the Premier League. He's just been appointed. He hasn't been there very long. If you're going to do it, you have Scooter Moron or somebody who actually works in an executive capacity if you want to get the, the know-how on, if you're going to do it. If you're going to get this guy on, you know, you might as well get, you know, a, a waxwork dummy on. He's not been involved in it. Just my two cents. I, I do totally agree. I, I, I think it's uh, an excessive chairman, not enough executives, not enough administrators. I, I don't quite, um, you know, if it had been Dave Richards, um, who was his predecessor, then I'd been even more worried. But, um, but, but that's for different that's a whole set of different reasons. Is, is extremely uh, but, disconcerting. But it's, um, no, I, I agree with you. It should be, uh, it should be administrators and executives um, if we're talking bureaucrats. Uh, Rory, you wrote movingly and compellingly about Bosnia and what qualification would mean to them. For those who, unlike me, did not read your piece, why is this such a compelling story? Uh, because it's less than 20 years since Bosnia was, was not even a recognised nation, since it was it was still sort of coming to terms with the after effects of a brutal and savage war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Slovenia and got to a World Cup and they weren't a nation they did. that long ago. Uh, but I, I think, for, and that Slovenia's achievement was incredible getting to 2002, but especially I think they're still the smallest European mm. nation ever to qualify. But with Bosnia, because of the, the sort of the mix of the ethnicities in the country, because of the tripartite system, which means that in every sphere of public life, you have a Bosniak president, a Serb president and a Croat president, except in football, where because of Ivica Osim's commission three years, two or three years ago, which FIFA sort of forced upon the Bosnians, they have one president uh, and th- a mixed sort of ethnic team, which is a really is a really powerful example, I think, for the rest of the country, that if they can qualify, that that may be the may, you know the, the different ethnic groups within Bosnia, who still share a lot of tension, can kind of work together. And I think it is a it's, it's easy to say this with football to say our oh, football can be a great example for the rest of the country and blah blah blah, and it's it's quite trite. But I think in Bosnia's case, it's also quite true that if they can qualify for the World Cup, it is a a powerful sort of statement about the future of the nation. It's a really great tale, and uh, if you haven't done so already, go back and check it out. Cass, your peeps at the Republic of Ireland don't have a national team manager, uh, and I'm told that Martin O'Neill is now 11 mm. to 10, apparently. If, if Cass turns down the Gillingham job, he, he's in for Ireland. Exactly. Would you, would you take the Ireland job uh, if, uh, if offered, if you don't go to Gillingham? And uh, secondly, is uh, Martin O'Neill the right man if you're unavailable? Mm. I'm unavailable. Um, looks cosy. Um, obviously the Celtic connection he's a huge favourite in Ireland the Federation are very worried about empty seats at the stadium the Aviva Stadium because there's no euphoria it's been a very difficult period uh, especially the last few games Um, they're looking for a guy that would get backsides back on seats and Martin would fit that bill in Ireland do I agree with it? 
think it's uh, it's going to end in tears. Um, I don't really feel that um, Martin will be the right man, but I can understand every reason for why the Federation do want to employ him. I think they should appoint Adnan Yanazai and then naturalize him as soon as they can. Uh-oh, media outlets in Spain are now reporting that Gareth Bale has some kind of chronic herniated disc. Uh, Real Madrid deny this. They're saying that he's got a chronic bulge instead, not a chronic hernia. Oli, um, that's not very clever, given that he's the most expensive player ever. Uh, you're the closest thing this panel has to a qualified medical physician. Um, what I don't get is, <laughs> if this story is true, should it not have turned up when he did his medical? And also, two years ago, didn't he start every single Premier League game for uh, Tottenham Hotspur? Yeah, but it, it, but Bale is one of those players who, I mean, even in the in the past year or so, he 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 has he has the look, and I'm told has the well has the has the body of of somebody who who has to be sort of finely tuned almost every day. He's got this sort of um, you know he's got an extremely powerful yet fragile physique. Um, which does leave a certain susceptibility of uh, two injuries. I mean, you think of Ryan Giggs; he had to sort of micromanage his um, his his body through yoga, etc., um, for for a long period of time. And th- th- there have been a few of these suggestions regarding Bale that, that although he's a, a monster physically, he he, um, he is going to have to be very careful to to avoid injuries, and he did suffer injuries last season. So it's um, I think it's one that's definitely uh, worth watching and, and worth perhaps worrying about, perhaps particularly if, you, if you've just spent £80 million on him. Why why it didn't come up in the medical, I don't know. Well, it probably did come up in the medical, but they probably decided you know, we are going for this come what may and and, um, and they'll live with the consequences. But it's, it's, it is a concern because I, I think if you looked at Bale two years, three, two years, three years ago, you would have said the big problem, the, the, the big risk he will have is staying fit because he is that type of player who looks susceptible to injury. And this would seem to um, to bear that out because because spinal problems do tend to spread and um, have knock-on effects elsewhere in the body. Right. I think we're both in agreement as to what the single best story is out of all the qualifiers on Tuesday. Um, tell me just how great a story this is and I'm and Roy doesn't know what I expect him to say and I'm guessing um, but there's a game Tuesday that he should be quite familiar with especially one of the managers involved uh, well I was going to say that the, be- the best story in the qualifiers is Bosnia but we've already done that mm-hmm. there's another one are we talking European no don't be so Eurocentric Egypt yes yes Egypt Ghana yes why is that a good story uh, well because Egypt is the best side in, in Africa, or have, well, have been for the last sort of ten years. They've never, made, they've not made it to the World Cup. They have an American coach in Bob Bradley, who's a lovely man, who I met in Cairo in a hotel in Zamalek, uh, who is a great story. Because obviously Egypt, with all the revolution going on and the sort of chaos of the Black Bloc and the Brotherhood and all that stuff, Bob Bradley is living in the middle of Cairo, which is an incredible sort of statement from him. Um, and with any luck, I mean, this is not sort of any disrespect to Ghana, but with any luck, Bob, Bra- Bob Bradley will take Egypt to, to, to Brazil, where I think they'd be capable of causing quite a bit of a surprise, to be perfectly honest. 
Egypt, who, uh, despite having been so good in Africa, of course, don't have a great record at World Cup qualifying. And of course, you, you've got the whole kind of Port Said Andrel, you've got the Ali Zamalek Andrel, mm. the, the two rival clubs. It is. It's a fantastic story. The he, possibility of seeing Mohamed Abutrika if he's still if he's still going in 2014, which is not Mohamed sure. Abutrika, who was dubbed by me the greatest player in the world uh, mm. outside of Europe and South America. Of course, that was back in 2009. They, they can't play at home, can they? Well, there's a, there's a big security there's, issue yeah, for, the, um, of the, yeah. of, for the home leg. Um, it's a phenomenal story, and given all these dead rubbers and stuff, I recommend you go and uh, and check this out. The other great story, of, of course, is Iceland. That's the other great story. Nation with 320,000 people in it potentially qualifying for the World Cup. They'd, they'll need a playoff. They're, they should finish second behind Switzerland. Uh, that's a fantastic story as well. International football is very interesting if you don't watch England. Or, or you don't watch England or Spain or Germany. Or, yeah, you just don't yeah. watch anybody good, basically. Yeah, just watch the smaller nations. That's where international football yeah. matters. And, Gab, I've got a question for you, and it's very interesting. Uh, back in March of 2010, roughly a year after I mentioned it, you suggested that Belgium might be the smart tip for the 2014 World Cup. How is your prediction working out? I'm guessing it's well, just otherwise you wouldn't have brought it up. Yes, the difference is that when you mentioned it back in March of 2009, you mentioned it in your head. Uh, whereas I mentioned it in these very pages in the game, in the Times. And that's why, um, you know, people still come to me. I get calls from Belgium almost every week about my incredibly prescient powers. Um, Belgium are doing extremely well. Uh, what I think is remarkable, I think you could even argue that except for Germany and Spain, they have more depth of talent than any other nation in Europe. Uh, what is absolutely fascinating to me is people are looking at them now as like case studies. What have Belgium done? The Belgian model. Um, you talk to people in Belgium and they generally say, you know what, we just had this incredible generation of freaks of nature because there really is no common thread to how all these people came together. Some of them were educated in Belgium. Some of them were educated in, uh, in Holland. Hazard, of course, uh, educated uh, football-wise in, uh, in, in France. And the scary thing is their under-21s are very good as well. And um, they've got this whole little brother thing going on, Torgan Hazard and Jordan Lukaku, of course, lining up for the under-21s together with Yannick Ferreira Carrasco, who I think is one of the most exciting young forwards in Europe. And I think, I hope he gets into the World Cup team. That's all we've got time for, for the time being, it says here. But you can come see us live in Birmingham a week from Thursday. The links are on Twitter and our SoundCloud page, too. Thanks to my guests, the very talented Tony Cascarino, the very handsome Ollie Kay, and Rory Smith. Reach out to us, gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk, so many of us do. Also, Ollie and Rory in particular, and myself too, we all love hearing from people on Twitter. Till next time, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.